Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. A gorgeous Monday, actually. It hasn't been the greatest weather, I suppose, for the second round of county championship matches and one or two affected by the, the weather. Poor old Gloucestershire didn't even get get one ball bowled in, in their match against Yorkshire. But there have been some, some good results, some positive results and some interesting performances. And also, of course, we should reflect the IPL too, where some Englishmen are playing. And uh, we've both, both Simon and I have been involved in looking at that, Simon commentating on it, and me certainly analysing it. So we're going to look uh, at the events of the last few days in cricket, both at home and abroad. Also, we have uh, a star guest today, the man who took more test wickets than any other fast bowler until he was overtaken by first Jimmy Anderson and then Stuart Broad, Glenn McGrath, who's currently on tour, in fact, around the the UK with Jonathan Agnew, talking about his experiences, obviously, in a build-up to the Ashes, which, Simon, is not far away now, is it? Two months. Yeah, just under two months. I, I looked at my calendar. What is it, the 17th of April today, and the Ashes underway on the 16th of June. Yeah, well, some performances as well from some of those who are going to be playing in the Ashes over the last few days. All arrived, I think, were caught by Ollie Pope's high-class innings at the Oval, well, in the first innings and the second innings. The second innings, of course, won the match for Surrey. He played one outrageous shot against James Fuller. A remarkable stroke where he's got a short ball from round the wicket. And he, sort of, he helped it on its way behind him. It sort of went almost behind the wicketkeeper. A remarkable stroke. And then he finished the game with a couple of sixes as well. It was a, it was a real tough grind. Uh, for the batters, lots of seam bowling on display. You think of the oval pitch as being sort of flat, don't you? But there was enough there for the bowlers, just enough for the bowlers. But Ollie Pope showing his class, and so not just Pope, not not just Pope, of course. But we'll we'll get on to you know, Harry Brook and 
Jimmy Anderson, amazing, you know, another five wickets in the match and, and getting Alistair Cook out twice and Stuart Broad back as well with a couple of wickets. But yeah, what, what, what about Pope, uh, Yoz? You, you were at the Oval on Saturday and... I, I think he's um, he's an absolute artist, isn't he? And, and funnily enough, you know, it was interesting, we had Ian Bell on this uh, show last week and I asked him, you know, what can you see the similarities between yourself and, and Ollie Pope? And he he kind of said he did. He was quite modest about it, actually. I mean, there are similarities, but Pope has a repertoire which Ian Bell can't even dream of. I mean, maybe if Bell had been brought up in this era, he would be able to play those kind of shots that that Ollie Pope does. But he's he's a in a way he's an absolute gem because he's a virtuoso because he is able to play a sort of conventional Test innings and also play all the shots as well and with great effect. And he seems to know exactly when to play them. I, I just like the way that he puts very good test-class bowlers under pressure. And he's obviously, you know, bought into the whole baseball culture, but he had it before. And it's it's almost just been a, an encouragement to explore the boundaries of possibility with, with his batting. In the, in the same way, I suppose, that when Kevin Peterson came into the, the England test team, he was encouraged to do the same. And... Pope has got so much more to offer, I think, in the future because he does have that fantastic range of, of ability so that I, I can see him you know, being a, a fairly key part of England's white ball side going forward because he is so versatile and he's a bit like Joe Root. You know, he can play all the shots and play a, and conventional innings as well. So you know, we can certainly explore the, 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 his brilliance, 90 and 100 in a game in which it was sort of primarily dominated by fast bowlers or good seam bowlers what, what we we both uh, did the surrey stream on saturday which was which was fun and you're obviously commentating on the ipl on other days for radio what's it like sort of commentating going between a four day county match and a a mad cap ipl game commentary wise i think o- over the years you just get used to it you just get used to the rhythms of the of the two games actually i like commentating on the ipl or, you know, there is a lot going on, although it does happen quite slowly. And championship cricket, it has that. It, I think that one of the, the great things about the game uh, at the Oval was it was a fascinating game, wasn't it? It was it was a tight game, and then eventually Surrey uh, broke free and, and and won the game. Actually, they 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 gave Hampshire another thrashing at the Oval uh, when you thought it could well be a, a close match. Hampshire not quite good enough, and that was about the the brilliance of Pope. Uh, I don't know. You get used to it over the years. I, I think uh, you, 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 it's a bit like, I suppose, you know, for these players. You talk about Ali Pope adapting his games a bit like you know, batting in a, a Test match, batting in a T Twenty game. You, you, you just adapt. Just on your point about uh, Ian Bell and, and, and Ollie Pope, I, I think I don't think we want to. I, I think we should get too carried away just yet. I mean, Ollie Pope has played. What has he played? Thirty-five Test matches, and he's got a batting average of thirty-two. Ian Bell. Mm. Averaged 42 in Test cricket, made 2200s, and, and played 118 times. But you're you're right. There's there's a similarity of approach, or, or there's a, a style, you know, a similar style of, of player there. But let's not um, not not denigrate Ian Bell's record. Um, what, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Let's not underplay his record, uh, Ian Bell's record, because it was a very good record. Noddy Pope. Has still got some way to go. He's only made uh, three Test hundreds so far, and he, as I said, he only averages thirty-two. But there's a there's that potential, isn't there? I think that's that's what we see that he has the the potential to lift that much higher that 
average much higher and, and, and score many more hundreds. Yeah, I think it's, I would say, with all due respect to Ian Bell, I think it's a tougher environment for a top order player at the moment, especially in England, because the Duke ball seems to be doing more than ever. I, I know there was that season last year where certainly early season the ball didn't do much, but generally speaking, batting in the top order for England has never been harder in England anyway, with firstly the Duke ball, secondly, you know, helpful pitches that was playing test cricket fairly early season quite often, certainly the Ashes this year are earlier than usual. And also playing under lights, you know, when normally you would have gone off for bad light in the past. Now play continues under lights, where it's cloudy, where the bowlers hold sway. And also just the skill, the skill around the place of faster bowlers equipped with, you know, very forensic data, which shows exactly where to bowl, uh, exactly the, the, the areas a batsman is weak. So... I think it is tough to be a top three player in England, especially, which obviously Ollie Pope now is aged, uh, averaging 32. You know, it's not. I think he'll hopefully extend that into the sort of well high 30s and maybe low 40s eventually. Just just on that sort of thing about seam bowling. I mean, I I love watching a bowler like Mohammed Abbas. He took six for in Surrey's first innings at the Oval. Um, there are some bowlers who just have that extra level of skill in making the ball move. Uh, they aren't particularly quick, you know. They aren't excessively strong or anything, but they just have something in their wrist action that enables that ball to zip off the pitch unpredictably. And Mohammed Abbas undoubtedly has that. You can just see it from his wrist when he releases the ball. He it, it just—it's just imparting, I think almost subconsciously, subliminally, a bit of backspin on the ball so that the, the two fingers that release the ball, the middle finger and the index finger, come down the back of the ball with the wrist cocked as they release. And that imparts backspin. And some bowlers are just better at doing that than others. Jimmy's obviously an exceptional example, although he is more of a swing bowler, really. But the reason why he gets so much seam movement is partly because of that backspin that he imparts on the ball. And it just makes it so much harder to play than swing because you can see swing sort of happen, whereas seam happens generally so close to the batsman that there's very little time to adjust. So those really high-class seam bowlers who bowl line and then the ball just nips either way, and often they don't know where it's going to go, so you know, God help the batsman, are some of the hardest to play. Glenn McGrath being another example. We'll hear a bit from him later. But, you know, talking to him at length the other day, you know, he was just saying all he looked to do was bowl top of off stump. You know, he'd run up to bowl. He got closer to the stump. He had a very high action, beautiful seam release, tried to hit the seam every ball. And some would nip one way and some would nip the other. And he would just basically bowl the same ball over after over. And if you are physically and mentally able to do that, you are going to be successful. So obviously Mohamed Abbas is a good example of that. Vernon Philander was another who had that um, amazing ability to just get the ball to zip one with the other. I played with um, Norman Cowan for Middlesex. You know, this is way back now, but he played a, a few tests for England and he was successful. And he actually got slower. He was a bit of a tearaway to start with. He got a bit slower. But every time he bowled with the new ball... 
the ball would come back after six deliveries, every ball right in the middle of the seam. You could just see a little green mark round the seam. Nothing ever missed the middle of the seam. And because he got that bit of backspin as well, as he was letting go of it, the ball just nipped one way or the other, and he was a nightmare to face. You know, and there are there are other examples in English cricket of that. And they are, you know, very admirable and interesting to watch and a nightmare to play, especially early season. The concept of backspin for a, a pace bowler might be a new one to quite a few of our listeners. Just, just explain how that works. And can, I, I know you tried to explain yeah. how a bowler can do it. What, so what is the effect of that when it lands on the pitch? Well, it grips. It grips much better. And the, re- the way to do it is, um, and I, I've tried to sort of explain this to, to young bowlers, the way to explore it uh, is to get a ball. Uh, it might be a plastic ball. It doesn't matter what kind of ball. It could be a plastic cricket ball or a, or a real one. And just throw it at your friend, your colleague, brother, sister, whatever. Um, Enemy. By, uh, yeah, by flicking it out of the front of the hand... But as you're doing it, bring the two middle finger and, and index finger down the back of the ball. So you're almost forcing it forwards, but bringing the two fingers down the back of the ball to try and make it spin back, even though it's projected forwards. And that it's it, it sort of it, almost like brushing it as you're brushing it, brushing down behind the ball as you're forcing it forwards. And that imparts the backspin, which enables the ball to grip. And you, if you think about it, Say you're playing tennis and you play a, a chop shot, you know, a backhand slice. The ball will float a little bit further than a top spinner and then it will grip. Because of the backspin, it will grip on the surface and stop. And that's what causes when uh, a return of serve or a return uh, shot goes into the net. It's because the, the backspin on the ball has stopped the ball's progress and then you hit it and, and you don't, it doesn't have enough bounce or pace. So you end up hitting it into the net. And it's the same sort of physics that cause the ball to grip better on the surface and then seam one way or the other. And I tell you who else had it, by the way, Ian Botham. Ian Botham, even when he bowled, you know, powder puff military medium in the end of his career, he still made it zip around because he had that fantastic wrist action and the ball zipped off the surface. I remember a classic, actually, bowling at Viv, his great mate, Viv Richards, playing for Durham against Glamorgan, and it was a Benson Hedges Cup game, and Viv came in number three. Beefy just got a wicket. He came in number three. He was terrified to get out, even though Botham was bowling about 73 miles an hour. Viv was terrified to get out, and he was poking and prodding rather than, you know, smashing him back over his head, which is what he probably should have done. And he, he played at one which was just angling in towards leg stump. And he played a bit too early and that seam movement happened. It just gripped on the surface and just held its line tiny bit, a little bit of leg cut. We've got a leading edge, both of them, beefy, dive full length, took a one-handed court and bowled. And it was just the most brilliant moment. We all gathered around to celebrate and Viv sort of toddled off, embarrassed. But... It, it was a good, another example of even when he was bowling at that very slow pace of how he could make the ball seam around. So if we had some amazing technology, some amazing cameras from square on, and we saw the ball pitch, you, you would actually see it 
if you impart backspin on it, slow yeah. up. Yeah. Mm. If you if you bowl a you know bowl a, I don't know, a similar pace delivery without dragging your fingers down the back of the seam, you would actually mm. show that one ball was was came off a bit slower than the than the yeah. other because yeah, it, because I think it, so. Yeah. Yeah, you would. I mean, it'd be a minute difference, yeah. but um, than than a normal bowler, if you like, or a, or another bowler, there will be perhaps one or two miles an hour difference, and it wouldn't necessarily play change the shot or change the way the shot the ball was hit if the boat if the, the, the batsman drove it, but it just enables that ball to grip on those uh, juicy surfaces and, and and seem a little bit more. You know, another bowler who who has that. By the way, um, he was on tele- television yesterday. Is, is Mohammed Shami, mm. the Indian Mohammed Shami, who has the most magnificent seam release? We've all seen it. The seam release bolt upright, flying down the wicket at you know, eighty-eight miles an hour, but it just zips one way or the other. He was he had the Rajasthan rules in knots early on, didn't he? he was seaming it all over the place. But that wasn't necessarily the thing that won the game in the end or lost the game. Well, well he's a fascinating uh, bowler, I, I think, Mohamed Shami. It seems to me that when, when he plays a T20 match, the last thing you want is for him to bowl in the last three or four overs. You want, And, and they do this most of the time. They, they get rid of his overs. He often bowls two or three at the start. I mean, generally speaking, you don't want a, a bowler to bowl three overs because the, you, they get a bit same and the, and the batters get used to it in, in T20. You want, you want lots of variations and lots of changes. But it seems to me, he, he's when I saw him come on to bowl that 19th over yesterday in, in the, the, the Rajasthan Royals uh, victory uh, in, in Ahmedabad, a repeat of the final uh, last year in, in the IPL, big match, a lot of focus on it, two sides who've, who've started well uh, this season. When I saw Shami bowling that penultimate over with, I think it was 23 needed for victory. I just thought the Royals were going to win here because I've seen it so often that he's great with the new ball. He's yeah, And he was un, unplayable, wasn't he? They could barely score off him early in his spell. I think he bowled his first three overs for nine. But then he went for two sixes and a four. And it, it, it's funny, isn't it? The, the, it seems to me he's one of those bowlers that has almost more contrast at start and end than than anyone else. Why, why is he? Why does he struggle so much at the death? Or why does he appear to struggle so much at the death? It, it's his quality at the beginning, which almost undermines his uh, lack of skill at the end, because it's the, the, the main issue is that he has such a beautiful high release top of the you know he bowls what Glenn McGrath would say actually bowls over the top of his front leg so his front leg braced really solid at the crease arm bolt upright 12 o'clock seam position perfect that uh, is is ideal with the new ball because it gets the maximum amount of of, of zip and, and 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 lift if you like but when you're bowling at the death, you actually want to try and get underneath the bat if you can, rather than hitting the splice or well, as as Shami does early on, he hits the top of the bat hard. You know, he bowls what they call a heavy ball. At the end of the innings, you don't want that because that just sits up and gets whacked. It, it hits the sweet spot of the bat. So the best death bowlers generally are able to bowl slightly slingier. They, they drop their arm slightly. So... Sandeep Sharma, who has bowled at the death of Rajasthan Royals the last couple of games, has a slightly lower trajectory. And that means that if he if he misses his perfect Yorker, it will be a, a half volley or a full toss, but it'll be relatively low because of his release point. 
so it won't bounce up as much onto the middle of the bat. If he bowls a half volley, it might still hit fairly low on the bat, whereas a chamois half volley will hit the middle of the bat because because of his extra height, just the, the release, you know, that wrist action that just gets a bit more zip on the ball and potential purchase just you know, enables a batsman to get underneath him a bit more, gives him less margin of error when he's trying to bowl those perfect Yorkers. Well, they could have bowled Ozalry Joseph, of course, in that 19th over, but he went round the park as well and they gambled with the young leg spinner to bowl the, the final over, but it was, you know, it was difficult, wasn't it? Because they only had a handful of runs. Shami only left a handful of runs uh, for that final over. Uh, yeah, uh, so pulsating game. Just back to the championship. Yours, uh, we, we saw Surrey, you know, look good. We thought actually, you know, it felt like a sort of top of the table game, uh, even at this stage of the season, second match of the season. Uh, Warwickshire have made it a very strong start to the season. Chris Wokes back in action for them, uh, picking up five wickets. Absolutely thrashed Kent. I couldn't help notice that Zach Crawley made two low scores again in a game in which Warwickshire made lots of runs in their first innings. And now, another interesting thing here, Yoz, he's his first-class average, and this is a guy who's played, what, 33 test matches, his first-class average is under 30. Not, not talking about his test average, his first-class average. I mean, it's extraordinary, really, isn't it, in terms of, of numbers. it's it's The shots are there, but if you can't stay in, it's almost pointless having all these shots. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess you go back to Michael Vaughan, Mark Strascothic, two well-known examples of people whose first-class average was lower than their test average. And when they were picked for England by Duncan Fletcher, you know, they probably averaged low 30s, maybe less in, in county cricket. And yet they had superb test careers so well Marcus always said always... didn't he Marcus always said that the he said the pitches in test cricket were better he said it was actually easy in a strange way it was actually slightly easier to bat in test cricket okay the bowlers are better but he, he actually found the surface is far more conducive uh, to run scoring mm. than in county cricket yeah and I think that, that Zach Clore is another example of someone who struggles against really good seam bowling you know where it zips around and isn't necessarily as fast. Truscothic loved the ball coming onto the bat because he didn't really move his feet much. So he preferred a Brett Lee to a, a nagging medium pacer. And I, I suspect that Zach Crawley may be the same. I mean, he played well in Australia, didn't he? Uh, he? He played well in the Ashes a couple of times. And the Aussies love him because he probably likes a good, fast, bouncy wicket with fast bowlers. He doesn't want those nagging medium pacers who he doesn't quite get forward to, and they just move the ball a little bit off the straight. He's committed to the shot, the edges to slip. Yeah, well, I think the Aussies loved him because he played, he played a few shots and then got out. If he'd, if he'd made 180 <laughs> or he made 220, they wouldn't have loved him so much. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there is that, but they I think they admired his... his uh, his weight of stroke, certainly, and his ability off the short ball. I mean, Aussies always like to see whether uh, a batsman has mm. courage and can take on the bouncer and the, the, the shorter ball. Uh, he certainly showed that and some poise within the drive. In, in many ways, I don't know. I mean, Australia, if you can handle pace, Australia is a great place to bat. Mm. And look at, I mean, David Milan is another one who who played superbly there and doesn't necessarily like the the nibbly the you know the dibbly dobblers in county cricket so it's horses for courses a little bit and you know you make a valid point about Zach Crawley though i mean he's got to get something sorted he may enjoy the pace of Stark Hazelwood and Cummins more than 
some of the other bowlers he's faced recently. There was a suggestion from uh, Steve James in the Times that he's, he's he's less open now. He's just gone a bit more square on. It's a, a small movement, and the idea there is that the so the bat doesn't come down uh, sort of from the gully region or sort of across the ball. It just comes it comes down a little bit straighter. Well, we'll see how that works out. I mean, sometimes if you make a technical change, it can take a while for it to work through into your game. We should talk about two other uh, England players, or one former England player and one current England player, Alistair Cook against Jimmy Anderson, two LBWs, Jimmy Anderson getting uh, Alistair Cook out twice in the game. One uh, one caused a bit of debate about whether it was out or not, whether that pad was outside the line, and the other one kept a bit low, and he's absolutely plumbed, the, the second innings one. But uh, uh, nice for Jimmy. I, mean, I noticed, I was just watching the body language, neither looked at each other uh, after the umpire's finger uh, went up. Uh, Jimmy Anderson just sort of moved off to celebrate with his colleagues. There was no great celebration, and Alistair didn't really look at, at Jimmy Anderson, but he either he, he loved it. Well, Anderson would have loved it, and Alistair Cook would have hated that. I know he would. But uh, but there we go, Jimmy Anderson winning the early season battle. And the other person I wanted to talk about as well, and, and he was a player who, when the IPL started up, absolutely fascinated to see how he was going to get on. And we mentioned this in our IPL uh, preview podcast was Harry Brook, who I, you know I've seen sort of stacks of runs in the last year, and he becomes the first player to score a hundred in this season's IPL after a difficult start. I mean, he's, he's found spin quite difficult, and actually, even in this hundred, his hundred not out for the Sunrisers Hyderabad, his strike rate against pace was far, far superior than his strike rate against spin but I mean that's what you I suppose it's one of the reasons you go to India of course you go to India to further your career make money of course you do in in, in the IPL but it's also to learn to learn the skill of playing against spin yeah and and it, it, playing against spin in India is different to playing it anywhere else really because for some reason that their pitches some turn and some don't even in the IPL and whereas in, in Pakistan, you know, it's a bit flatter. It doesn't really turn much until perhaps right at the end of the game. Sri Lanka, it turns a lot all the time. So you can sort of allow for that. But India, you get pitches where you know, the odd ball grips and turns and, and then, then then it doesn't. And and it's difficult to set yourself. Uh, in the same. And there's also a lot of very clever artists who mm. bowl, you know, one that turns a lot, one that doesn't turn as much, a slider, things like that. They mix it up. Playing under lights is never easy. Trying to, with the white ball, trying to pick the variations. I mean, I think it's quite interesting that, that, that the Royals, for instance, now are playing three spinners. And so that's Adam Zampa, uh, Ravi Ashwin and Yuvi Chahal. And uh, they're even looking at bowling the de- at the death with spin, aren't they? That There was an interesting debate actually on the IPL yesterday about the fact that the seamers are just going around the park, even in the last couple of overs when they're trying to bowl Yorkers, they just can't quite get it right. And there, there's, you know, there's a talk about more and more spinners coming into bowling the last three overs. They did that yesterday. The Royals bowled Adam Zampa, the Australian leggy, in the 19th. And he went for 11, I think, and took a wicket. Um, so I think we're going to see more of that, partly because these pitches are not easy. And that's why Rashid Khan has been so successful, you know, because it basically he, t- he makes some turn and some, some don't. And some of that is deliberate and some of it is just accidental. Yeah, well, Noor Ahmed bowled the last over of the match yesterday, didn't he? But he didn't have many to defend. And inevitably, uh, Shimron Hetmeyer took him down. 
whack the ball for six. Just on Hetmeyer, he really has justified uh, the conversation that we were having, or you were having, about his ability to come in and score quickly. And, you, and he's a real sort of a Rajasthan money ball pick, wasn't he? Because they, they, you, you pointed out that that he was able to come in and score quickly in the, you know, yesterday he came in a bit earlier, but in that sort of 15 over area, you can come in, score quickly. And he, he won the game for them. Fun, fabulous innings, 56 not out from uh, 26 balls. But actually, normally he doesn't get as many as 26 balls because the, the, the gluttons at the top of the order are scoring all the runs, aren't they? The likes of Butler and, and Sampson. But he came in a difficult situation and, and won the game. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I posted on Twitter yesterday, actually, uh, I really enjoyed the Surrey-Hampshire four-day match. And I really enjoyed, you know, the IPL game the next day, the, the Gujarat Titans against the Rajasthan Royals. And, you know, can't I be allowed to enjoy both? And there's lots of things to admire for those who perhaps don't like the IPL and feel it's been a, a bomb underneath, you know, the, the kind of traditional game. There are lots of kind of interesting nuances which you can enjoy, like like we just said, for instance, selecting certain players to come in for certain roles. I mean, Marcus Stoinis is coming in. I mean, he's a good hitter of the ball, isn't he? He's a decent batter, and he's coming in at number seven for his side. And there, you know, there are lots of, of specialists like that. I must admit, I I wouldn't be that happy. I think if I was earmarked for that role, because you just got to go in and slog, and it must be a little bit sort of. I don't know, a bit sad that you spend all your life practising, refining your technique, and then basically you've got to go in and smack the second ball you face for six. And, you know, there may not be quite the same satisfaction attached to that than there is, you know, scoring 100, building an innings and all that. But the exhilaration of being able to hit, you know, 20 off six balls to win a game in front of 100,000 people must be amazingly uplifting. Yeah, I mean, I think is that if you get that license to come in and just whack, it's it's quite nice, isn't it? It's, it can be liberating. It comes off. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah great feeling. Well, Rinku Singh had it, didn't he? Early, earlier in the the IPL when he had total license just to have a go, and it was his day. One of those sort of unbelievable days in a in a player's career, hitting five sixes in the final over uh, to win the match. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I spent a bit of time, as I said earlier, with uh, Glenn McGrath. I'm actually making a podcast series called Legends of the Ashes, recording interviews with a lot of the great names from the ashes of the last 20-odd years or, or more, those who are still alive. 
And uh, Glenn, of course, is on tour at the moment. He's touring the country with Aggers and uh, the TMS production crew. And they've had about half their tour done already. Uh, there's some dates to come. They're in Northampton today, actually. And then after that, Birmingham, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Harrogate, uh, Salford, Nottingham, Bradford. Finally, they finish up at the Festival Hall in London. And then there's a couple of dates in May. So have a look out for that if you fancy a night listening to Glenn and, and Aggers and others chatting away. Now, I'm just going to tell you one interesting stat about McGrath. We were talking about the Lord's test in particular and why was he so successful at Lord's? And he said, well, I love the bowling at the slope. You know, I was able to just bowl my line and length and the slope did the rest. And so he could nip it around both ways. And obviously, his, I said, what was the highlight of your career? And he said, I always wanted to take five for at Lord's and taking eight for in the Lord's Test of 1997, you know, is is a highlight of my career. He said they came off and they'd already taped his name on the honours board in the visitors' dressing room. It was one of the absolute highlights. Overall, his record at Lord's, 26 wickets in three tests at 11.5 with the ball. What about the man who famously was a sort of walking wicket at number 11? What about his Batting average at Lords, though. Have a guess what that is. Well, his batting average in Test cricket was seven point three six. Uh, he's got six hundred and forty-one runs in one hundred and twenty-four matches. Okay, his batting average at Lords. I'm, I'm going to guess because you because you brought it up. I reckon his batting average must be naught. Well, it's infinity. Right. Okay. Because he's never been dismissed. Okay. And he said, it's a little known, little known fact, he said, that you know I was very successful with the ball at Lords, but no one could get me out. <laughs> I had three innings at Lords, made 30 runs without being dismissed with a high score of 20 not out. And that's quite something, isn't it, to think about. Um, yeah, I, 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 and, and we were talking on the, um, on, the, on the Surrey stream on Saturday about players who've taken more wickets than scored runs. McGrath, not far off in Test cricket. 563 test wickets. And how many test runs did you say? 690? 641. 641 So he wasn't far off more wickets than runs. There have been some some great instances of that in county cricket. Somebody mentioned the other day, Jim Griffiths of North Ants was one. Kevin Jarvis of Kent was another. Uh, Apparently, Barrett Chandrasekhar was one as well, the Indian mystery spinner. So there's a few knocking about. And McGrath close to that, but obviously a peerless fast bowler, a man who also likes to predict he's going to be 5 0 to the Australians every time. Well, let's hear from McGrath, uh, see what his predictions are. But first, I asked him how his tour was going. Yeah, no, it's going well. Um, it's always nice to come over to the UK and get a bit of a cheer. A lot of times, uh, it's amazing how many. Uh, people come up to me over here saying, I used to hate you with a passion. And I take that as a compliment. And I say, thanks, that's exactly what I want the opposition uh, fans to think. And they go, but um, yeah, but now you're okay. You know, I, I, you know commentating for TMS, they, you know, they quite enjoy that. I think half of them are a little bit disappointed that all of a sudden they think I'm a half-decent bloke. And they really wanted, they still really want to hate me. <laughs> so I always find that quite funny. But yeah, so we're, we're here just telling stories um, and just talking about previous Ashes experience. Uh, it's for BBC TMS 
heading around with Jonathan Agnew and and Henry Moran. Um, you know, Agus is good value, and he's the voice of uh, of cricket on TMS. So um, to go around and and just get people looking forward to the Ashes, it's coming up in another month or so, two months. You know, wet their appetite uh, for another big series. And I think this series is going to be uh, a ripper. You know, the way England are playing, um, they're more aggressive. They're going out. They're scoring six, seven runs and over. Um, I-, I love that. I love the way they're going about it. Whether it's Spaz, Brendan McCullum, or whether it's Ben Stokes, or whether it's everyone bought in, um, I like their attitude and their aggression, the way they're going about it. The Australian team got a great bowling attack. I think our batsmen are, are coming along. So... I think it's going to be a really good tour. So you're not going to you're not going to predict a five nil this time. Uh, I've been saying that, you know, I think, like I mentioned, then England playing great cricket. I love the way they're playing. I think Australia um, can can match them. Um, so yeah, I think every game. I've been saying every game's going to come down to the wire with Australia just winning every one of them, <laughs> which means I can still stick to my five nil prediction. <laughs> Okay, uh, can't swear you there. And, and I mean, have you learned anything from your tour so far? I know you've been on a few venues, but I guess you've got either. Have you got Irish roots? Um, yeah. So family history. The McGraths moved out from Northern Ireland, a place called Ballycastle, up near the Giants Causeway, uh, 1863. So we went there on the '97 Ashes tour, um, but I didn't realise then that that's where yeah the McGrath roots. Where we where we moved out from, so I'd love to go back and and visit there and get a bit of a sense of where my ancestors came from. So yeah, I've got a bit of uh, bit of ancestry in this country. Yeah, there's that, there's a bit of sort of redness in there. Is there somewhere sort of fiery? Is that where you get your fiery <laughs> fiery nature from? Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's, I think it's just a, that competitive nature. Um, and yeah, you've got guys like I said, guys like Warney and Steve War and Yes, Ricky Ponting. Well, they're all English names. Mark Hayden. Taylor. I mean, yeah, yeah. they're all English it, names. It's aren't they? it's just the way we are. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you to to, I think to be successful, you've got to have that attitude and that hunger. How the hell are you such a lovely guy, off the field, and you're just such a nasty piece of work on it? Um, that's just the way it is. That's uh, Australian. So that's as soon as you cross that white line. A lot of people call it white line fever. Yeah, you're out there. Yeah, doing your best in battle with the the opposition and uh, yeah. But I mean, Play- some people. But you know, but but competitors. There are different sorts of competitors, aren't there? And yeah. some are. They look as if they're having fun. You you looked as if you were on a mission. Mm. You know, you were a sort of merciless executioner, and you thought to yourself, "He looks like an ogre." You know, he looks like a really nasty piece of work. And I remember interviewing you sometimes after the game. Being a bit nervous, actually, thinking, God, you're going to bite my head off if I yeah. say the wrong thing. And you were like, sweetness and light. I don't know. That's just who I am. Yeah, When I played out in the middle, had a job to do. I was focused. I wish I, little, I was a little bit more like that off the field. <laughs> I sometimes think I have too much empathy in life. I was, you know, get a little bit harder and a bit tougher, but I don't know. No, I, don't, I, don't become I, tougher off the field. No. I, I am who I am. This is how my parents raised me. Um I, I loved every minute playing, but yeah, I was out there. I set very high expectations on myself, and that's what I was trying to achieve out there. And um, and I've always been very tough on myself. But off the field, um, I just think of myself as a normal person. All right, there we go. So, Glenn, surprisingly, 
predicting 5-0 to Australia again. I don't think for one moment he believes that Australia are going to win this series 5-0. But of course, at home in the last few series, they have come pretty close to uh, whitewashing England. You know, England have been abject in Australia for, for most of the series uh, for a long time. But there is a fact, Australia have not won in England since... 2001 they very nearly did it last time they probably should have done it last time but apart from that you know incredible innings from Ben Stokes and Jack Leach that partnership at heading they, they you know to all intensive purposes you know they would have won that game wouldn't they and actually if they kept that review as well they'd have won that game at Headingley so yeah they they got very close last time it has a different feel about it this time I think I don't know, it feels a bit more like 2015 where Australia were quite strong and actually they came into the series as favourites I seem to remember in 2015 but England were able just to sort of nudge them aside. They won a very important first game in Cardiff and went on to, to win the series. I think this is a really unpredictable uh, Ashes. I, I, I don't, I, I, sometimes I have a sort of real sense of how it's going to go. I mean, I thought the last couple of series in Australia, England would get thumped. I thought last time round it would be closish on the score. I actually did go for 2-2. This time, you know, when you, we're asked to make our predictions for the series, which we probably will be sometime down the line, I'm not sure. I, I, you, can, you could almost see Australia winning three or four test matches. Or you could see, I mean, Ollie Robinson went, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're, gonna, we're looking to hammer them. You know, we, we think we're good enough to, to hammer them. That's a sort of paraphrase of what he was saying. And you, you could almost see that happening as well. Uh, so it, there, there are lots of... Sort of unknown factors aren't there you know how that Australian top order is going to get on against England's pace bowlers Smith and Labuschagne ain't good enough what about the Australian pace bowlers how are England going to approach it is it going to work is that high intensity attacking cricket going to work against top class pace bowling in, in English conditions so there, there, are, there are lots of things that just I think hard to gauge uh, going into the Ashes series yeah, that's all totally valid. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll find out in due course how this all plays out. I mean, it is worth just making a serious point to finish, actually, uh, and that is that we finished the interview, McGrath and I, with a conversation about his charity, which, of course, is in memory of his wife, Jane, his first wife, uh, who died of breast cancer and now uh, been going for you know a number of years, over a decade, actually, the pink test in Sydney which raises funds to supply breast cancer nurses and has been somewhat replicated, of course, in England with Andrew Strauss launching a charity in memory of his late wife, Ruth, the Ruth Strauss Foundation, and turning Lords into a, a different colour as well, a, a red colour. It's the red day at Lords, the red test at Lords, which will obviously be coming up in the ashes this year. So McGrath, just explain what it's all about. To now have the McGrath Foundation which um, we set up with my late wife. Um, and what it's achieving now is just incredible. So to be able to give back um, is, is something I'm very proud of. Uh, but I do think I'm a very lucky person because the things I've done in my life, uh, the, the people I've had in my life, sure, there's been some bloody tough times, but I think everyone has their own battles and challenges to face. And it's how you pick yourself up and carry on. And the people in your life allow you to do that. So I've been lucky with the people I've had in my life. And mm. to be able to give back and... Um, is and something the, the pink I'm very test, proud. the pink test has now yeah. become an absolute, you know, part of the calendar, hasn't mm. it? And actually led to the, the a similar thing in England with Andrew and Ruth Strauss as well. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, that started after Jane had passed away. And, you know, first test, didn't know what to expect, but... 
just the way everyone came on board was amazing. And, you know, that's that's the beauty of cricket, the beauty of sport, that it brings people together, crosses all boundaries. It doesn't culture, race, religion, anything. It just brings people together. And that's an amazing example, uh, what's been created there. 14 years, gets bigger and better every year. Um, you know, what, what it's, it's a win-win situation. What it's giving back to cricket and creating something very special and, and the amount of run, money raised is having a, making a big positive difference in so many people's lives. Even I've heard stories where, you know, ladies sitting at home watching us, uh, watching the cricket, and they, they hear about the foundation, about awareness, about raising funds. They go and check themselves, find something's not quite right, go and get test uh, checked out and find they have early-stage breast cancer, which is very treatable. They get it sorted out and, and get on with life. And it's um, when it could have been a lot nasty if they left it you know for for quite some time so yeah it's uh it's not about it's not about quantity of life it's about quality so if we can uh, make someone you know give that back to someone at that tough time in their life only too happy to do it and yeah at the end of the day i'm just like anyone else and and that's the way it is i suppose it's incredible isn't it that a tragedy has become a transformative uh, experience really yeah, exactly. You know, some of the darkest times in your life. And, you know, Jane was an incredible person. And unfortunately, you know, she lost the battle. But the legacy she's left uh, for people going through breast cancer, for her elder, you know, for her children in James and Holly. And, and now um, I've been obviously been lucky enough to have met someone else in Sarah. We've added to the family with Madison. The McGraw Foundation is something we live as a family every day. And I think it's a great legacy for for our children and also to show that yeah they're not privileged they can yeah they can go the way to have a positive impact on on other people's lives as well so yeah there's a lot of positive have come out of a, a pretty a pretty dark moment dark time in in our lives so great effort by both Glenn McGraw and Andrew Strauss to set up those charities and uh, if you're interested in donating to two incredibly worthy causes obviously go to the websites, the Jane McGrath Foundation and the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.